Hello, creepy cats. Welcome back to a new episode of Ew, That's Creepy. It's Melissa's turn to tell Jackie about a murder that happened on Halloween night, and she will be sharing the tragic tale of Doreen Herbert. Doreen was home with her daughter following trick-or-treating when she was viciously attacked by a man wearing a wolf mask carrying a machete. Please be aware that this story is incredibly disturbing, heartbreaking, and discusses violence committed against an infant and expecting mother. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Jackie and I are back, and we are here for a new episode of Ew, That's Creepy. And today we are continuing our theme of Halloween murders. Very spooky and timely for this time of year. It is almost the end of October. I'm a little sad because October is my favorite month. I know. I am pretty sad that October is coming to an end, but at least we have November and we'll continue on with fall. True. I love like now until January. Uh Uh-huh. January, I don't really care for very much. January and February are an entire year, it seems like. Oh my God, literally. (laughs) And our birthday is in February, so that's when you know we don't even enjoy that month because it seems so long. Agreed. But, so I just want to say too at the beginning of this episode... This is seriously the most brutal crime I have done so far. I didn't obviously choose it intentionally, but I saw this on an episode of Snapped like two years ago. And Jackie and I were so, well, I don't remember but if Jackie was there, but I was so shocked by it that I had to choose it. And then when I was reading back through the court um, documents, I was honestly just shocked at how brutal it was so no hate if you guys are like okay that is I cannot take that that is too much but I'm telling you right here right now so you guys know trigger warnings up this crime is brutal I remember the episode but I like a little bit but I don't remember it being like horrible no it's horrible like I must have cut that out then unsnapped because I don't remember it being like I kind of remember the general story but I definitely don't Well, now I don't know. Now I'm like, am I even thinking of the right story? No, it's truly horrible. It really is. And so I will just, obviously, you guys, it is involving a horrible, horrible crime um, on someone who was pregnant. So I'm just giving you guys trigger warnings right now. I mean, yep. (laughs) But okay, let's just, let's just jump right into it. Trigger warnings times 10. This is like... Your last warning, and we will not be offended if you turn it off. Yeah, I don't blame you. This isn't everyone's... It's not like this is our cup of tea, but it's, you know, this... I know a lot of people who wouldn't want to listen to this, and especially right now, if you're pregnant, you wouldn't want to listen to exactly. this, so... yeah, totally agree. But... But if you're riding with us, buckle up. Y'all wild. <laughs> <laughs> For the ones listening, y'all crazy. You're crazy. I knew you were crazy, and so were we, so... <laughs> Let's get into it. On Halloween night, 1984, uh, a pregnant mother named Doreen Herbert heard a knock on her door 
of her San Diego home following the hours of trick-or-treating. So Doreen was eight months pregnant. She was at home with her four-year-old daughter named Deanna. When they heard the knock on the door, they it was about 9 p.m., so they kind of assumed that maybe someone was trick-or-treating later or something like that. So even though Doreen's husband said to lock the door and stay in when they heard the knock on the door, both Doreen and her four-year-old daughter answered together. And so when they opened the door, Doreen saw that there was a man standing there wearing a wolf mask and holding a very large machete. Oh no, I was going to say a trick-or-treater. No, this is a grown-ass man. Ew. Wearing a wolf mask, holding a large machete. Um, Doreen screamed at the man to get out of her house while the masked man just said, I'm going to kill you. Doreen yelled at her daughter to run and hide behind the couch, and Deanna did. She hid behind the couch, and the man proceeded to attack her mother with the machete. No. Oh, my God. That's horrific. I know. This woman who is eight months pregnant, he's attacking her with this huge knife. It's just like... So you can obviously tell she's pregnant. Clearly. They said that... And they said Doreen was, I think, just a little over five foot. So they said it. she was as wide as she was tall, basically, at this point. Wow. So let me just, similar to what Jackie did in her story, take it back to the beginning. Um, because this crime is so brutal. So I will just take it back um, to the beginning of Doreen Herbert's life. So, Doreen was born Doreen Ray Hutchins in 1952 in Santa Clara, California. She was caring and loving. She grew up in a close family. Everyone, friends and family, said that Doreen was incredibly generous. She was always very giving. As an adult, Doreen decided to pursue a career in medicine, and she eventually became a physical therapist. Wait, can we just say, it's kind of crazy, you picked someone named Doreen, mine was someone named Kathleen, both from California, both really nice and helpful type women. That's crazy. Just had to say that real quick. It's crazy because, like, obviously we do the same theme, but our stories always seem to be so exactly the same. Yeah, we do not tell each other, like, oh, you do this one and you do this one. We just pick our own stories and, and like and pray to God we didn't choose the same one. <laughs> right? No, seriously, we don't know that either, but yeah. Just had to point that out real quick. So many similarities. I'm waiting for the day we do the same exact story. We'll just tell it together at that point. Yeah. <laughs> it's bound to happen. But so, um Doreen became a physical therapist and that fit all accounts of her personality. You know, she just wanted to help people basically. So, while in the Bay Area in her early 20s working as a physical therapist, Doreen met a man named William Michael Dennis. He went by Mike. He was working at a, as a sprayer at a nearby manufacturing plant. And... I don't know what that is. I don't really okay. know either. <laughs> I think that he, like, I, I assumed spraying, like, color onto things because he's at a manufacturing plant. But I genuinely have no idea. They, someone's probably listening like, you dumbass. That's not what it means at all. So 
This Mike Dennis, he was very much the opposite of Doreen. She was smiling and cheery and happy. Mike was more quiet and introvert. And he did have his reasons because Mike suffered from significant hearing loss. And he had since he was a child. So he had to wear hearing aids. And he also had a slight stutter because uh, of his hearing loss. And so friends of Mike said that, you know, growing up, it was kind of tough because back in the mid seventies, when you had a hearing aid, it was the whole behind your ear and you had to put the device in your pocket and it was a little bulky and people obviously weren't as tolerating back then as they were today for disabilities and things like that. So I think that people made fun of him for having a hearing aid and he went Also, when he spoke to people, he would have to watch them really closely to read their lips because he was almost deaf. So Mike wasn't as he wasn't very friendly at all. And he did suffer from depression and, you know, was withdrawn sometimes. So it is kind of crazy. They're very much the opposite. Doreen is loving and makes friends all the time. Mike doesn't really have any close relationships, but They met and they really hit it off and just fell in love. And in 1975, after less than a year of dating, Mike and Doreen decided to get married. Wow, that's pretty quick. I know. So shortly after, Doreen became pregnant with the couple's first child. In 1976, Doreen gave birth to a baby boy. They named him Paul. So Mike and Doreen, they were both great parents They loved being parents, but it was pretty clear that they had different personalities. Living together was not as easy as they thought it would be. And basically, their personalities just clashed too much. Doreen, she was always smiling and happy, and Mike would just be... He did have depression, and there were times when he would be withdrawn and moody from her. And by 1977, two years after they met and got married, she was already filing for divorce because of his depression and those tendencies. Wow, that's sad and very quick. Yeah, it was sad. I think it was just that, you know, she loved Mike, but I don't think that she thought she could be her best self and the best mother when they were living together and when they were together. Yeah, and things are definitely a lot different after you have kids so mm-hmm. yeah so it was sad they did split up and I think it was very hard on Mike because he never had girlfriends really besides Doreen and so he really thought that they were going to be together forever and it was hard on him um so sad As with many divorces, primary custody was granted to Doreen and Mike would visit on the weekends. So, you know, at first things were fine that he was visiting and, you know, it just seemed like they were going to co-parent, which they were. In 1978, Doreen at one point was having some car troubles and her vehicle actually broke down on the side of the road. And luckily, a nice, handsome man named Charles pulled over and assisted Doreen. And they made conversation, and he actually asked Doreen to dinner later in the week, and she said yes. 
Oh, that's cute. I'm glad it wasn't like some creepy person because like as a girl that's kind of your worst thought I know. someone like scaring falling over but i was like in the late 70s it can also kind of be a romantic comedy type of thing but so charles no he was very nice he pulled over and helped her they instantly clicked good so charles he had his own carpet business so he had his own home and everything like that he was kind of known in the town for his carpet business and they fell in love very quickly. They were married by 1979. And then Charles and Doreen were expecting their child, first child together. Doreen gave birth to a baby girl named Deanna. And she actually was able to quit her job as a physical therapist and worked as a secretary for Charles' carpet business. Oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. Getting to work with your mans. So it seemed like, you know, Doreen was kind of finding now the perfect, perfect little life. She is working for her husband's business. They have their own home, everything like that. And, you know, everything was great. But then. I was going to say until. You know, there's always a but then. So this is when things really go downhill, obviously. Um. So, in February of 1980, Doreen was at home with the children. So, she has Paul and Deanna. And Paul, obviously, was her son from her marriage with Mike. And as Doreen did things around the home, three-year-old Mike was outside playing. You mean Paul? Sorry. Oh, my God. Three-year-old Mike. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As Doreen worked around the home, three-year-old Paul was outside playing And she, you know, as I'm sure a lot of parents do, was just looking outside the window every couple of minutes to see what he was up to and that he was fine. So at one point, Doreen peeks out the window and she doesn't see Paul in the yard anymore where he was playing. She runs outside and her heart drops when she notices that there's a small hole in the fence that led to the family swimming pool. Oh, God. When she looked into the pool, she saw Paul floating face down in the water. So Doreen grabbed Paul and I believe she yelled for neighbors and they pulled him out of the pool, rushed him to the hospital. He was put on life support, but tragically after a week, he Paul could not be saved and he was taken off life support and passed away. No, oh my gosh, that is like the worst thing I've ever heard. It So it was their pool and not like the neighbors? No, it was Doreen's pool, Doreen and Charles's pool. And they had a fence around it? Yeah, but I guess he either, he either like made the hole or there was a small hole that he used to get in. Uh. And... It was just devastating. Um, Doreen and Charles were devastated. Mike was beyond devastated. Mike didn't understand how this could happen when Doreen was supposed to be watching Paul. And Mike was just so upset and so involved in his grief that he even went as far as saying to people that Doreen and Charles purposely killed Paul to remove Mike from their lives. And to just have their own little family. Oh my god, that's pretty messed up. I mean, I was going to say, I definitely understand where he's coming from in your grieving process. Because it's obviously nobody's fault. Like, people make 
parents make mistakes and you never think that's going to happen. But I can see if you were the other parent, it's when you're grieving, it's easier if you try to find something to blame instead of just being like, how could this happen? So I can understand right. being upset with her, but come on, you can't say that. I'm sure she blames herself every day for that. And he didn't just say things. Mike even filed a lawsuit, a wrongful death lawsuit against Doreen and Charles Herbert saying that basically that Doreen's negligence is the reason why Paul fell in the pool and passed away. Yikes. So in early 1982, the lawsuit did go to trial, but in the end, the judge ruled in favor of Doreen and Charles, and he dismissed Mike's claims of a wrongful death and found that it really was just an accident. Wow. Basically, I believe because they had a fence around the pool, like they didn't just have a pool, you know, it really, I do think was just a tragic accident. I agree. It's kind of like the fence. You would never think they would somehow find a way under it. So Right. And apparently Mike was in hysterics when the verdict was announced, basically. And he, I read in one article, I believe in the court document, that he was screaming she got away with it in the lobby of the courthouse after. Wow. So... Following the decision, Doreen and Charles Herbert asked Mike never to come to their house again. Basically, they just wanted to cut off all contact with him, as sad as it was. I mean, at that point. Yeah, I don't blame them, because I think they were starting to get a little on edge that he was acting so erratic. Yeah, a little concerned. So, following the judge's ruling in 1982, Mike's life just proceeded to go downhill he could not move past it. I believe I read in either the court document or in an article that someone said his grief was almost abnormal. Like, years had passed, four years, and he still was, they said, even more, like, almost even more upset as time went on than he was when it first happened. That's, like, really, really sad. I'm, I feel like it's probably a mix of the court thing happening, his mental health already being shaky, mm-hmm. that being his only child, like, I couldn't imagine, and I don't blame him for grieving, but you also, I don't know, you can't let it take over your life. Yeah. Mike, as sad as it is, he even lost his sprayer position at the manufacturing plant, and he had to take a lower-paying job there to just keep a job in general. And his mental health continued to deteriorate. And as crazy as it was, he he stayed in the same neighborhood he was living in, which I believe was like five minutes away from Charles and Doreen. And he just continued to keep tabs on them and like watch them from afar. Ugh, that's creepy. Yeah. By 1984, Doreen was finally picking up the pieces and starting to move on. She actually was pregnant in 1984. Doreen and Charles, they were especially excited for Doreen's pregnancy because they had experienced two miscarriages while trying to conceive. So they were even more excited because, you know, they had, they also learned that they were having a boy. So it kind of seemed, you know, that Doreen was going to have a boy again. They would have another child. They were finally picking up the pieces and 
you know, it's as horrible as it is, as Mike was deteriorating, Doreen and Charles seemed like they were finally getting things back together. The baby was due in early November, shortly after Halloween. And like I said previously, Doreen was just a little over five feet tall. So when she was eight months pregnant, her belly was sticking so far out. Um, and now as sad as it is, we're back to the start. On Halloween night, 1984, Charles and Doreen were going about the day as usual. Doreen was too pregnant to walk through the neighborhood, so she stayed at home and handed out candy while Charles took Deanna trick-or-treating. When Charles returned, he told Doreen that he saved a few closed houses for her and Deanna, which I thought was so cute. He basically let Doreen, you know, take her to houses like right across the street and right next to them so she could still take her trick-or-treating for a little bit, which I just was like, that's so thoughtful. That is really sweet. So following the night's trick-or-treating, Doreen and Deanna returned home. Charles said then he was going to run out quickly to the liquor store and he would be back right after. So he told Doreen, just lock the door and basically I will be back in 20 minutes or so. Charles left and soon after there was a hard knock on the Herbert door around 9 p.m. Doreen and Deanna went to the door thinking it was a trick-or-treater and like I said before, there was a man in a wolf mask holding a huge machete who said, I'm going to kill you. Doreen yelled at the man to get out of her house and frantically told Deanna to go hide behind the couch. And again, huge trigger warning. I'm actually going to get into the attack and the crime now, so this is your last chance to turn this off because it's just horrible. So horrible. So the man in the wolf mask brutally attacks Doreen. He's God, doing a mix of stabbing her and also just slashing at her with his giant machete. So there slashes to her neck and her arms, her shoulders, many around her stomach. Um, the attacker stabbed Doreen so many times in her stomach that the baby was actually removed from Doreen. Um, Doreen was trying to defend herself, but it was this huge machete and her hand was completely severed during the attack. Once Doreen had stopped moving, the man searched the house for Deanna, who was still hiding behind the couch. But thankfully, he had left, throwing the wolf masks into a neighbor's yard and just running. Oh my god, he looked for the child that is beyond the attack is enough you're already killing her unborn child like looking for her other her daughter god yeah i believe like i read in some cases that he looked for her but i think i also read in the court document that he said like if you he found her and said if you're tell anyone i'm going to kill you So, I'm not really sure. I think it honestly just all happened so fast. Some sources say he looked for her. Others say that he threatened to come back and kill her if she told anyone. Either way, it's horrific because you're doing all of this to her poor mother who's so pregnant while she's there. It's just horrible. So, shortly after the attack, Charles returned home 
and he noticed that the front door was unlocked, which he specifically had told Doreen not to leave the front door unlocked. So he already felt uneasy. He entered the home and he saw blood all over the hallway. There was a jack-o'-lantern lit on a stool that had blood splatters all over it. And he saw a pool of blood, and horrible as it is, his unborn child lying in the pool of blood and Doreen's severed hand next to it. And the reason why I include that is because Charles at first came home and thought that Doreen had miscarried because he just saw that and he saw blood. But then when he saw her hand, he realized that she had been attacked. And so he ran to Doreen. He tried to wrap the wounds on her arms and apply pressure. But then he saw how bad the slashes to her neck and her stomach were. So he ran into the kitchen to call 911. And he even slipped and fell in Doreen's blood because the scene was so brutal. That's horrific. Did he find, do you know if he found a pulse when he came in? Yes. So, Charles, for some reason, when he called 911, couldn't get through. So, he called the fire department, and then he called a neighbor, basically asking them to help and asking if they could call the police. And after that, he noticed Deanna still huddled behind the couch, just, like, cowering behind the couch still. Charles grabbed Deanna, brought her into the kitchen, and sat her down so she wouldn't see. And then he went back to Doreen and applied pressure to her wounds and tried to bandage wherever he could until the paramedics arrived at around 9.15. So it's sad when you think about it. Like, the person knocked on the door around 9, and by 9.15, paramedics were kind of already there taking care of her. Oh, my God. That's insane how quick he got back after that like he must have just missed the attacker yeah like charles literally just went to the liquor store and came back and in that time this horrible thing had happened oh poor thing when paramedics arrived doreen still had a slight pulse and she was rushed to the hospital tragically she was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital and the Herbert's poor child was also pronounced deceased at the scene, and paramedics determined that they could not do any sort of resuscitating. The autopsy results later came back, determined that Doreen had died from numerous stab wounds and chopping wounds all over her body, and the autopsy also concluded that her child had been killed while it was still inside Doreen's stomach, So it had never, as horrible as it is, it had never, like, taken a breath or anything. But it's even more tragic because the autopsy basically said that even though the child was basically a month premature, if she would have given birth in a hospital, it would have survived, you know? I think my soul just shattered into a million pieces. I know. How could you do that to someone? Like, I can't even fathom that. Well, I have a pretty good idea of who did it. Well, yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to start with that and then go on to other things. This part is also sad, too. Like, I truly, for Charles, I can't even believe what he went through. I can't even imagine you went, left for 15 minutes and come back to that. And then, so the police 
when paramedics, I believe that they got there before like the entire police and investigators and everything. So Charles helped paramedics with Dorian still. He was doing whatever, excuse me, doing whatever he could to help Doreen. And when they put her into the ambulance to go to the hospital, Charles was trying to get in and go with her, but police stopped him because of saying, like, they were questioning all of the blood that he on had on his hands and his clothing, and police decided to arrest Charles on suspicion of murder due to all of the blood on him. They locked Charles in the car for the next hour while what? Deanna is just sitting at the neighbor's house and detectives are investigating the scene and his wife is being in, sent in the ambulance with, he doesn't know if she's going to survive or not. That's horrible because it's like, I'm sure people at the liquor store saw him and then he had a receipt and stuff. And Charles was so upset and infuriated that he actually sat in the back and tried to kick out the windows of the police car. <laughs> I couldn't, yeah, I would too. That's horrible. I know. I actually cried doing this research because, like, that part, just imagining Charles when he went through seeing all this and Doreen, it's just like. I couldn't so, even imagine. So tragic for this family who were just trying to put the pieces back together. Like, yeah. this is the last thing they deserved. <sighs> when detectives investigated the scene, once Doreen had left. Um, there was obviously so much blood due to the trauma on Doreen and her child. There was blood all over the front of the house and blood splatter on the jack-o'-lantern sitting on the stool on the front door, the ceilings and the walls. A blood splatter expert determined that many of the stains were velocity stains from the attack. So basically he was like attacking her with so much force that there was velocity stains from the machete all over the front of the house. There were also slashes from the knife found on the front door and in the ceiling. Oh my god. Like, you're basically an animal. You're not even a human at this point if you're doing something like that. You are, like, literally a man possessed. And a wolf mask was found outside the Herbert home, which was confirmed to not be theirs. So they had the mask that this person was wearing. That is so creepy. That and the jack-o'-lantern, too. It's so scary. It's like a sick Halloween movie. I know. It's, like, even more brutal than a Halloween movie. Yeah, seriously. So police obviously dropped the suspicions on Charles, like, I feel like an hour later. Like, I couldn't find what made them drop the suspicions, but I think they talked to multiple people who said, one, Charles went to the liquor store, and two... Charles and Doreen are madly in love, and there's one person in their life who doesn't want them to be. Yeah, it's like when you look at, because uh, that's what they ask you every time, do you have any enemies? In this case, it's pretty easy to say, yeah, I have one. <laughs> yeah, Mike Dennis, the mm-hmm. ex-husband. Yep. So even though police pissed me off by putting Charles in the car, I will give them this. They made up for their mess up pretty fast because the murder of Doreen happened around 9 p.m. By 12.30, they were knocking on Mike Dennis's door. Okay, good, good. So literally, like, a couple hours later, they're already at Mike Dennis's house. And one, they're there to question him, but two, to tell him that his ex-wife has been murdered in C. So 
the court document about the police going to Mike's home was very telling. Let me just start here with how obvious it was who did this crime. So police arrive at Mike's home. Before they even meet him, they see that it's 1230, but there's a light on in the bedroom. So they're knocking on the door, but there's no answer. They can clearly see the light is on in the bedroom. So they are knocking for about five minutes and they finally get um, someone in the county to call Mike Dennis's home. I don't remember who exactly, but someone in the county could find the phone number because it was in the 70s or in the 80s and call his house. And so they did. They basically were like, hey, if you're asleep, the police are there and you need to go downstairs. So he, he said, okay. And five more minutes pass and the police are just staring at the house and they notice that First, the light in the bedroom turns off, and then the light in the hallway turns on, and then they hear running water for, like, five minutes, and the one officer in the court document literally said, I thought immediately that someone was trying to, like, clean themselves of a crime or clean something. Yeah, like, take a shower real quick or something. Yeah. So, five more minutes go by, and they're still waiting there, and then he finally comes out, and he just is like, oh, I was asleep, sorry. The police, obviously, they notice, and they this was all this is in the court documents, that they didn't think he looked like someone who had just been asleep or woken up. <laughs> they asked to just come in and speak to him, and he says, yeah, come in. So they sit down with Mike, and they tell Mike, you know, we're sorry to tell you, but Doreen has been viciously murdered. Mike just responds, you're kidding which police thought was odd, you know, like they let it be silent and see if he would say anything else. And he just said, you're kidding. Wow. I can tell he's really distraught. Yep. A police sergeant also noticed while they were sitting there that there were deep cuts on Mike's fingers and the cuts were so deep that he could see the gauze bandages saturating with blood. Like he was bleeding through his bandages all on his fingers. Wow. Sketchy. Yeah. So police decide to ask Mike for some ID after noticing all this odd shit that he's doing. Mike goes upstairs with another officer to his bedroom to get his ID. And the officer is just basically using this to look around. And he notices that the bed doesn't look like it was slept in. I don't know if that means it was made, but he said it didn't seem that he was just sleeping and woke up. And the officer also notices that Mike keeps looking, like, up towards the headboard out of the corner of his eye. So the police is obviously like, okay, I'm going to look. Like, thank you, I will look. Later on, when they did a deep search of the house, the police did look and they found a loaded revolver hidden in, um, I believe, some boards behind his headboard where he kept looking. Based on what they keep finding and the behavior they see from Mike, they just ask him if they can look around his entire residence. Mike says he has nothing to hide, and yeah, they can look right around. So they do, and they find blood drops in the kitchen, by the washer and dryer, a trail leaning outside, blood on his key ring, bloody bandages in the trash can, blood everywhere basically and they also just shined a flashlight into his car and saw blood like all over the steering steering wheel on drops of blood on the chair next to him and basically if you were getting in the car with blood all over you that's what they could see but he has nothing to hide 
Yeah, nothing at all. They decide to place Mike under arrest and secure the home. So before 24 hours even passes of Deanna's murder, they already have Mike under arrest. Good. I know. Mike initially denied all the claims that he killed Doreen. And he said he was never at the home that night. He said he got the cuts on his fingers. <laughs> Sorry, I know this is horrible. I don't mean to laugh like because this is truly the worst crime I've done. But Mike said he got the cuts on his fingers by accident. He threw a knife up in the air and stupidly tried to grab it. Uh, okay. That's, that's all. That's really what people do in their spare time. <laughs> that's all he could think of for the cuts on the fingers. Yikes, he did not have enough time to plan. Those five minutes that the police were standing there were not <laughs> enough. I know. Like, why did you think about that as you washed your hands off in the shower or in wherever for 10 minutes while the police stood on your door? And applied gauze. Why weren't you thinking about what you were going to say about that? But whatever. I guess he just assumed throwing the knife up in the air was the most believable excuse. <laughs> He's like Harley Quinn or something. Well, let's try that when we get him. <laughs> Mike said that he finished work on the night of Halloween. He finished work at 4 p.m. He went straight home. Mike's, so Mike's mom lived in the house with him. She kind of had a separate apartment little type thing. But the mom, she didn't say either way if she saw him. She said, honestly, I ate dinner and I went to bed around 8 p.m. So (laughs) she really didn't, like, cover for him or say, yes, he was here or no, he could have been gone. She was like, I was asleep. I couldn't tell you either way. She clearly doesn't know. No. Apparently, though, police didn't have enough evidence that night to officially charge Mike Dennis with murder. So, I think it's that after 48 hours spent at the prison, or like 48 hours total of questioning, I'm not sure, Mike was released. Him doused in blood and having cuts on his hand wasn't enough? I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) So, shortly after that, on November 5th, so not even a week goes by though, Mike is officially arrested. When blood found at the crime scene was tested and confirmed to be Mike's blood. Shocker. I know. Because of the brutality of the crime, Mike was charged with first degree murder and was eligible for the death penalty. Good. Let me just list off all of the evidence found against Mike because police really tied every loose end that they could even think even think of. So Like, I'm just going to say all this because, you know, it kind of seems at first like it's circumstantial. You don't, it could have been someone else. But in the court document, there was so much. First, Mike's neighbor told police during questioning that Mike spoke to him around 6 p.m. on Halloween and said he was about to leave to go to a costume party. Yet Mike told police he was home all night. Hmm. The wolf mask that was found a brown wolf face and had exaggerated eyes and its tongue out was confirmed to be Mike's old mask. Police spoke with an acquaintance of Mike who confirmed that he had worn the mask to a party last year. And the person even said, yeah, I took pictures of him at that party of him in the mask and I can show it to you. And he did. And it was confirmed to be the same mask. In Mike's bedroom, police found a torn-off adhesive label for a Stanley 18-inch machete and a receipt from the machete, the machete, oh my god, from, <laughs> from the machete being bought at a local hardware store. 
Why would you even keep that? He did not plan this at all. I know. The actual machete couldn't be found, but prosecutors later bought the same one from a store and during the trial asked I think the person who did the autopsy asked them like could this weapon have made all of the cuts on Doreen Doreen and they said yes it was very likely so even though they didn't have the exact machete they went and bought the same exact one and they the um forensics said yeah that could have been it most likely was it most disturbing of all Police found, oh my God, coffins, anchors, and cloth body bags the size of Doreen and Charles. And so prosecutors allege by putting pieces together that Mike was first planning to put Doreen and Charles in coffins, take them out to the sea, and put anchors on the coffins and sink them. So because his son had drowned he wanted to drown them to get back at them for apparently killing his son oh my god the police also interviewed numerous neighbors of both doreen and dennis or and mike because mike lived close so i believe in walking distance from doreen and charles home um And so many people, at least three different people, two neighbors and one man taking the children trick-or-treating, said that they all saw a man wearing a wolf mask lingering around the Herbert home, standing across from it, staring up at the house as early as 6 p.m. that night. Oh my god, he was really, like, just waiting for his moment. And someone even said, I don't remember who, but in one of the court documents that... They had seen a man in a wolf mask walking down the street toward the Herbert home at 8.55 p.m. So, basically, prosecutors are saying, like, look, we have proof the wolf mask was his. And we have so many people saying that he basically hovered around their house for two hours. Clearly, it was him, and he clearly planned it. Yep. So, both prosecutors in defense used the death of Paul, obviously, to center around this case because that really was the motive, was just revenge. Mike just felt like he needed to get revenge against Doreen because, in his mind, he had it wrapped that she did this either on purpose or her negligence caused it. But, oh my God. So... Mike became obsessed with it in the past years, and that was really the main motive. And even though police said that, you know, a lot of the evidence was circumstantial, they also had her blood all over his damn house, his blood at the scene. So it kind of wasn't circumstantial. The prosecution even had Deanna, who was now eight, testify and give her recounts of the night. Which is sad. Even though she was eight, she would have just been four. Like, she told the jury how her mother had saved her life by instructing her to hide behind the couch. And I believe I read in the court documents that Deanna later said that she could recognize the voice as one that she had heard before and recognized it as being Mike. Police also said that the body bags, coffins, and anchors found in Mike's home were proof that the murders were premeditated and planned, 
not just spur of the moment. Like you were planning to do this for quite some time. And buying a machete and lingering outside of her house for two hours. Right. Someone even said at one point, so creepy, that they saw the man in the wolf mask walking by with a bag that contained something heavy. Ew. So picture how scary that is. He's just yeah. walking around like it literally is scarier than a movie. It is. Ooh, I just got chills. The defense for Mike, they're obviously trying to paint a picture of, you know, they're kind of agreeing with what the prosecution is saying, but they're saying because Mike was so grief stricken that he was suffering from mental illness and undiagnosed mental illness, which caused this attack. And psychologist interviewed Mike numerous times and basically was the main one who testified for the defense. And basically they said that, you know, Mike believed that Doreen, he basically, like Mike was just saying all these things from years and years and years. He just was in his mind letting himself believe that he was the only one who was upset over Paul's death. He literally told the psychologist that Doreen called neighbors for help before she even grabbed Paul from the pool and that Charles and Doreen mistreated him after the death and that he was the only person who was sad and cried at the funeral for Paul. Okay, come on now. The only person. And... Yeah, like, and then the psychologist said that Mike's undiagnosed mental illness caused him to snap on Halloween because he was seeing all the trick-or-treating that was going on, and that caused him to focus on his son and what he would be doing with his son that night, which is very sad. That is so sad, but you don't have, there's no excuse for the horrific thing you did. And Mike even told the psychologist, like, confirmed that his plan was initially to drown them in the coffins and with the anchors and throw them out uh, out of a boat at sea. Mike did say, though, to the psychologist, and he has always insisted that he didn't know Doreen was pregnant and that he wouldn't have attacked her if he had known But you saw her, so it didn't matter to you. It's not like you did that and then found out. You saw how pregnant she was. Yeah, in the prosecution, they kind of, like, call bullshit on that also because they say that it was clear that Mike kept tabs on them for months. He lived, like, five minutes away or so, five to ten minutes away. So the prosecution said... Even if for some wild-ass reason when you were wearing that mask you couldn't see she was eight months pregnant, you kept tabs on them for years. You would have known and you would have seen her leading up to that point. I totally agree. And you know what, girl? So did the jury because they said Mike... Well, actually, I think Mike was realizing that he was totally screwed because he decided to plead guilty to first-degree murder of Doreen. And he pled... He pled guilty to second-degree murder of Doreen's child. In 1999, Mike Dennis was sentenced to death via the gas chambers. Good. There's no other acceptable penalty. I'm sorry. He hasn't. He has not died yet. Um, You know, California has a lot of people on death row. So that was in 1999. But he is still on death row. Which is sad because... Even when he's on death row, like, 
I read in one article that he was saying that he keeps trying to overturn that and keeps trying to get a new trial. And he says he in one article said that like if the jury knew how much hell he went through, they would have never found him guilty. And I'm like, this is kind of proving that you're exactly where you should be. The fact that you keep insisting that you were the victim in all of this. Yeah, like I actually take back what I said about him getting the death penalty because I don't really believe in like a life for a life. I don't I just don't. But like, I don't understand what other except what else does he think is acceptable? Like, it's infuriating, actually, that he even said that the fact that you even think, yeah, you deserve a new trial, even if Doreen like physically abused you for years, which didn't even happen. Doreen was an angel by all accounts. Even if Doreen was a horrible person, no one eight months pregnant or anyone deserves to be killed. And no one deserves to be killed when you're eight months pregnant with your daughter in the same house and your husband coming home, seeing his deceased wife and child. And that is not his decision to make who gets to live and who gets to die. Like, I get, obviously, you feel like your child was wrongfully taken from you and somehow Doreen was a part of that. I get that. But move on. Like, you can have another child. And I know that doesn't replace what you had taken from you. But, like, letting your life deteriorate like that and blaming it all on Doreen is obviously not going to make anything better or easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. It's just like that infuriated me that he said that because it's like on one hand you do in a tiny way feel bad for him because if he suffered this tremendous loss, but at the same time, so did Doreen and yeah. so did Charles. And so you know, Charles and Deanna, Deanna's an adult now, but she speaks on the show and stuff. And it's just like, you did not need to make this tragic situation way more tragic. And it's just horrible. I'm sure Charles had grieved on his own about Paul. That was basically going to be his stepchild. So Mm -hmm. to take his newborn, his unborn child, actually his unborn child and his wife from him and Deanna's mother is just insanity and he can say he didn't know Deanna was pregnant but there's you mean Doreen. Or, oh my god yeah he can say he didn't know Doreen was pregnant but there's a small part of you that has to wonder did he did her being pregnant trigger him to do this to get back at Charles and I be totally like agree. I'm taking your son away you know yeah it seems too much like up his alley of schemes to say he didn't know but mm-hmm. I'm done talking about him. I know. I'm pissed. This, Charles and Deanna, both angelic, have said that they have chose to forgive Mike for their own healing. And they have chose to try and forgive him and move on and do basically what they thought their angelic Doreen would have done. And I will leave it at that. Um... The court document on this was, like, 50 pages long, but I recommend, like, if you guys thought this case was interesting, I would definitely read it. I'll have it linked below. It's disgusting because they go into detail about the crime, specifically about, they go into details about the crimes on the unborn baby as if it was, like, a person, and that was so difficult to read, but 
if you guys like the psychology behind this, there's a ton of stuff that the psychologist for the defense said, like basically just months and months of things that Mike said. So many little things that he said Doreen did on purpose and people did on purpose to hurt him. But it's just interesting to see like someone's thought process and like I said, there was so much evidence too, blood everywhere. So if you guys want to read that, if you guys like this case, I do recommend reading the court documents because that is, tells you everything from both sides and just how crazy all of this was. So, well, that was a good episode. Very, very sad, but it does good. Yeah. It deserves to be told because there's something to say about the, what grief can lead people to do. You know what I mean? Grief paired with definitely mental illness. I don't think mental illness caused this, but his history of depression didn't help. And it's just so sad, but I agree. But thank you guys for listening. Those of you who kept on listening. Thank you. Uh, we hope you guys are all going to have a great rest of your October in a really good Halloween. Send us your Halloween pictures. I want to see some costumes. Yes, we want to see. We hope you guys all are safe. Yes, stay safe. I hope you guys have a great Halloween. If we, well, we'll talk to you guys before that. But <laughs> if you're listening to this some around, sometime around Halloween, have fun. Be safe. Get spooky. We love you guys. And we appreciate all of you guys for listening. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast. Or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.